This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Welcome, More Than Workers. Today, we're going to talk about this huge problem that is facing our country and our world today, and it's this rare talent that's out there. We are in this, the middle of this talent war, and all these businesses can't find people. We have this huge shortage. You've heard the statistics that are out there. There are 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. Every day, 10,000 baby boomers drop out of the market. That will be true until 2030. We're going to have a labor shortage. It's going to catch up. And you are hearing businesses talk about how they can't fill positions and how awful it is to find talented people and how hard it is to find a talented workforce. We're going to be here talking about a little different message. Maybe talent is not so rare after all. Maybe there are people that are out there that are waiting to come to work for you. Maybe they just don't want to. Not everybody is having a problem finding talent out there. We work with lots of companies that are having no trouble attracting talent. We are a company that has had a history of not having trouble attracting talent to our team. So what's going on there? What is making it difficult for some companies to find talent out there and to find people for a workforce? And why are other companies easily finding people? We're going to talk a little bit about that. So Matt, why don't you kick us off? Thanks, Don. Uh, of course, as always, joined by myself, Matt Griswold, Diana Royalty, and Bethany Taff here from the People-Centric team. Excited to bring you another topic. And it's interesting, you know, kind of our, if you want to reveal the curtain a little bit, uh, how do we come up with these topics? Well, sometimes you all bring topics to us or you, you'll write us and let us know of a topic. But a lot of times, to be honest with you, it is, hey, what are we hearing right now? What is the pulse of the nation right now? The, in, the industries, what are they saying? What, are, what topics are they asking for? And I got to tell you, this is one of the topics, hiring and retention, that people seem to be really, really asking for. And this was not not even necessarily uh, due to the pandemic or coming out of this uh, pandemic there, uh, but maybe that has enhanced what it is. But people really want to know, man, how do I hire the right talent? How do I retain the right talent? And I have a question that I'm just going to throw to my team here. And let's let's talk about this. What is the dangers or what are we missing, I guess? what What's the problem with just focusing in on high, hiring and retention? What do you think? It seems like when companies get focused on hiring and retention, they get focused on like almost like you're a victim of what's happening on the outside. It's Ooh, like yeah. almost like you're a victim of numbers. Like I need to focus on hiring and retention because the market outside looks so bad. Yeah, uh, maybe there's and, not even more of an HR or recruiting department thing that you could say with like, we need to improve hiring and we need to improve retention. Now, if you're listening and you're going, these are positive things. We also need to recruit and, and be able to retain people. We're not disagreeing with that. But what we are saying is I think that our focus is maybe misled. So when we're focused on hiring and retention, the way I kind of view it is those are like the bookends to the, you know, the, to the really good part of the book, right? So that's like the front cover and the back cover. The hiring, we should focus on hiring. We, can, we have some best practices for hiring. I'm sure you know, we, we, we can go around the table and share some of those. That's good. We have some best practices maybe for retention, but, but when we're focused on those two ends, we're missing the good part in the middle. Diana, what were you going to add? I was going to say that whenever we talk to somebody and say, what are you doing for hiring and retention? They immediately go to their hiring process and they're like, oh, well, we put an ad on Indeed and yeah. we put it on our social media. And I don't think that's the question that we're ever asking, you know, yeah. but that's, that's what people think about when we say, what are you doing for hiring and retention? 
Yeah. And again, that's, that's just like the, the front initial question or what we'll get to, we'll get industry specific people like an engineering firm or maybe a manufacturing company. And they'll say, well, I know you help other people with hiring, but like, you don't understand what it's like to hire in this industry or to hire, you know, in this industry or in this part of the country. And really, I think if that's, if that's stopping, then I think you're missing the boat. Uh, because what we're really asking, and just to, again, I'm going to use the term again, just to reveal the curtain a little bit. I'm not really asking you for your hiring process at that time. What we're saying is, what are you selling? What is it that you are selling in this competitive market that is going to entice somebody to want to buy what it is that you're selling? And I'm not talking about what the employees make or what the company produces. Like I am talking about the standards that you have created for yourself, the brand that you have created for yourself, because people have options, right? Bethany, what were you going to add? So we worked with an architecture firm and they were talking about this very thing of just retention and how do we, how do we keep our young talent here? The problem is they had a, they had a large number of partners in this firm and there was no track for growth within the organization. So their young talent, it was great, but they didn't know what their future looked like. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how they could get there. They didn't know if there was an opportunity for them to develop and grow and be a part of the organization long-term. And so that was one of the things that, you know, when they're talking about, okay, well, how do we retain and attract talent? Well, you have to help them see what the path is for their growth in, internally in your organization. And so that was one of, that's, I, that's just an example as we talk about, you know, what are you thinking about in terms of how are you retaining talent and how are you attracting more talent? We talked about the idea of what if, what if people knew, what if other young architects knew that you were the firm that was going to help them develop and help them grow and help them, you know, get all of these opportunities um, in their career. And that's the thing that other people knew about coming in. And that's how you keep you keep drawing more people into it and, and they know where that path is and what that path looks like. I like it. I think that's I think that's great insight. And sometimes I think if you are in the middle of the struggle where you're trying to find people, it takes a while for your brain to get to where Bethany just kind of took us. It takes a while for our brain to be able to say, well, what if we established a good succession plan? Would that then impact hiring or the types of people that we are hiring? Like what if we did develop a clear plan of promotion from entry level to the next level, you know, and would that really impact the types of people that we're having? I think, I think it's easy for us to say, well, how creative can we get be with, uh, can we get with like paid sponsor ads to be able to recruit people, or maybe we should pay them more. I'm going to speak for every worker right now. Money is cool. We all like money, but that's not the end all be all of, of making the decision of whether or not to come work there. Right. Don, that's, it is for us. It is noted. Done, but noted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already here. Don, what were you, you going to add? I was just going to add how important, you know, so what we're talking about here ultimately is that your hiring process is like your marketing process for your product to your people, which is what it's like to work for you. And what we're trying to say is that if you have a crappy product, can I say crappy product on the more than work podcast? No, if you have a crap. crappy product, then people aren't going to want to come work for you no matter how you market. 
no matter all those things that you do. Now, how do people already know that you have a crappy product? Let's put this out there. So like there's a manufacturer that we saw in a town that we work in that has 150 something job openings, they said, having a horrible time attracting workers. We just started asking people around town, hey, do you know anything about this place? And everybody we talked to, most people we talked to said, oh yeah, but that's a terrible place to work. Yeah, my brother-in-law works there, my cousin works there, or somebody else works there. It's a place that you go maybe get a little bit of experience and then jump out. Like nobody likes working there, it's a terrible job. Like it doesn't, we didn't even live there in that town. We're not there that long and you get information about that. Here's some stats, Gallup has done some studies on this. And one of the things that they have found is that 77% of employees before they submit an application for you are going to look at the website of the company that they're thinking about working for. Now, what are they looking for? They want to know what's it going to be like to go work for that place. So they're looking for things like, what's it like to work here? What do we stand for? What are, how active are we in the community? What kind of benefits do we have? They're looking for stuff like that. 71% of potential applicants before they submit an application to you are going to look for referrals from a current employee in the, in the organization. So let that sink in for a little bit, right? So I'm thinking about going to work for a company. I'm going to reach out across my network, whether that's social network, family, friends, I'm going to find somebody that works there and I'm going to ask them, Hey, should I consider applying for a job there? Now we also know from Gallup that on a national average in the U S one out of three employees are engaged, which means two out of three are disengaged or toxic. So statistically, that means if I randomly reach out to your company, if you have an average company, this is if you have an average company, I reach out to an employee that talks there, I have a two out of three chance of the person saying, eh, it's all right, or saying, no, nah, don't do it, don't do it, it's a terrible place. Or worse yet, oh, it's a great place to mess over management, come on on the inside and destroy it with me, <laughs> which is even worse, right? Yeah. So the idea is that to the company itself, and we see this happen a lot, is they think it's the job market. Well, we're putting out applications, we're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing and we're not getting applicants. They think it's the job market. But I'll tell you a quick story. I got to go to two different businesses within a week of each other, right next door to each other in this industrial park. And I visited and spoke to the plant managers at both of them and the HR person for both of them. And it was a tale of two different plants. One plant, I walked around the place and you could just, everybody looked miserable. Everybody looked horrible. I did, they, nobody made eye contact. Nobody was communicating. Uh, it, just, it just didn't look like a good place to work. Similar type of work, by the way, in these two plants. Went to the second plant and it was like every place we stopped, people were saying hi, they were waving. You saw pictures of their family hanging up in different parts of this plant. People were excited to show you around, uh, all that stuff. I asked both of them, hey, how how do you find new people? Are you having trouble finding new people? The one plant, the plant that looked like it was a terrible place to work at said, oh, we can't find people. We are just, we are bringing in 50 temps a month, just trying to find enough people to, to work here. So it's been terrible for us. Like we're just trying to work through this, trying to work this. And I said, are you growing? And they said, no, we can't grow because we can't get the people in. Like we would probably grow, but we can't grow because we can't get the people in. Went to the second plant where it was a great place to work, where people were communicating really well, where they clearly enjoyed the work environment, similar type of work but where they clearly enjoyed the work environment. I asked them, do you have trouble finding people? And they said, no, we have a stack of resumes with highly qualified workers who are dying to come in and work for us. And we're growing, we're aggressively accelerating the things that we're doing because we know we can attract that workforce because we're such a great place to work. This is a really, really big opportunity for organizations who are trying to improve their hiring and onboarding process, recruiting process, is to try to think about how they can work on their culture to make it a better place to work.
You know, and this goes right to the conversation that we were having before we hit the little record button there. And Diana, I'm going to throw it to you here because how have, you know, traditionally you would go apply for a job and then the employer would interview you and you would walk through that interview process. And you said something, how interviews have changed now over time and maybe talk about what that interview process looks like. And you you, you might be relating to people where they're like, yeah, that's the way it, it feels that's the way it feels to me now, but maybe how has the interview process evolved and why? So I think in the past, employers kind of expected people to just want to work for them, right? There wasn't a lot of information about what it was like to work somewhere. What you got in the interview is what you got. Like, that's how you learned about the company. You applied, they interviewed you. That's that's what you got to learn. But I think nowadays, there is a lot of information out there it's their stuff on LinkedIn. You can find out what friends of friends work for that company. I can see who's there and how long they've been there. I can go onto a website that actually have employees rate employers and see what that employer rating is. It, it, there's so much more knowledge out there. And so I think employees looking to go somewhere are more educated about the company they're applying for. And they're interviewing the the company just as much as the company is interviewing them. They want to know, is this going to be a good match? Not just, should I come work here? Yeah, I, li- I like that. I, and I think that's how, you know, through our conversation, that's how interviews have, have kind of evolved. It's lo- no longer the employer interviewing the employee. It's a mutual, this is quote unquote, the interview process where we are both feeling this out as we go forward because, you know, we have options. People have options. Bethany, what were you going to add? Yeah, I mean, I used those sites when I was looking. The last time I was looking for a job before I was at PeopleCentric, I was looking at all of those companies and looking on sites like that to see what is it like to work there and what are their ratings, you know, from previous workers and what are the stories that are coming out of there from, and you can kind of use some of you have to, you have to weigh some of those, those stories that people post on there. But I think there are all of those resources, but I think the point that like that Don is making that we're all making is that good employees are not that rare. Honestly, it's really about what you do once you get them in your doors and how you treat them and you know all of those things so all right so let's let's kind of take it to the next step further because i think we've established that it's not just about the hiring process yes there's there's best practices yes there's maybe better places to be able to post to find some of the applicants yes there's a way that you can word some of those postings to be able to potentially attract the right types of people to be able to look at those things yes we should focus on onboarding and orientation we help companies like that um, all over the country all the time helping to build a solid onboarding and orientation process those things are important too But here's the trick, right? You can have a solid orientation and onboarding process, but eventually you got to go get out of orientation. You got to go to work. And what does work look like? So maybe you're that person that that is maybe the owner of a company or manager of a team or a department. And we're going, yes, what are you selling? What is the brand that you are, you know, what are the standards that you are holding yourselves accountable to be, uh, accountable to, to make people want to work there? So what are some of the steps that maybe those owners, managers, department leads, directors, whatever titles you want to give them, what are some of those things that they can do to, to potentially pulse check the, the inside there? How do they, what's a tangible thing that maybe they can do to be able to see, I don't know, what am I selling? How do we, how do we come up with that? How do we, how do we re repurpose what our brand is on the inside? And and then how do we get that out there? Don, what do you think? I I think sometimes we overthink things as business owners. And sometimes I think if, if you frame the question the right way, the answer can be really obvious is who could be, who do we have that is an expert on what it's like to work at our company? 
And the answer is your employees, the people who actually work for your company. So I think it's a great opportunity and a great place to start is to find out from your people what it's like to work for your company. Now, there's a problem with that is if you're an employer and many of the people that we work with, it would have this problem and it depends on your culture internally and all of that. But if you went to, if I go to Matt and say, Hey Matt, what's it like to work at people centric? There's some, there's some motivation for him to go. It's great boss. I love it here. Everything's great. Everything's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. So sometimes you do need to engage an outside source to come in and help you to do what we would call a semi-confidential survey. And it's confidential in that it protects individuals. It's semi-confidential. And obviously we're going to share trends to measure a little bit, measure some things that are happening inside the company. You can go back, just like if you think about a product, there's a thing called a net promoter score. A net promoter score asks a question for a product that says, how likely would you be to refer this product to a trusted friend or colleague? And you can get an answer from one to 10 and it gives you a score. And that score can be compared nationally. You can do the same thing for employees. You can find out what your employer net promoter score is. And you can ask, hey, how likely would you be to refer a friend or colleague to take on a job here with your employees? And you can get a score. We've measured that score and we can feel the difference on that score. We have a client that we work with that scores in the 30s on their net promoter score. And this is from a scale from negative 100 to a 100, for example. And 30s and higher are considered to be pretty good for a net promoter score for an employer. And we asked them the question recently, they're in, a, in a, an industry that there is a significant shortage of workers. And we asked them, are you having trouble finding people? And they said, you know, no, not really. Actually, they're pulled from bigger companies in the same industry from nearby. They're pulling them over. We have another organization that we work with that scored in, in the negative 40s in this. And, and one of the things that they just observed recently was that a lot of their employee, employees come from a long ways away from the place where they are at. They're, they're hiring from this massive circle. They have people driving an hour and a half because they had to recruit that far out just to get enough people inside. So it shows you how much difference that is. So getting a net promoter score, getting a survey internally is probably a good place to start to find out if that's a problem for you or is it just how you're putting things out there? All right, let's switch gears here and go to the other part of this conversation here. You know, the hiring, but the other part was retaining. How, how do I then retain employees? I know some of this, it's the same answer. It's, it's, it's the same answer to the retention as it is to the hiring. But what are some of these things that maybe employers that we see that, that we're not doing on the inside to be able to then, or I guess that's then impacting the retention numbers of that organization at the same time? Diana? I got nothing. I mean, I have a lot. I have face, a lot because this is like- looked like you a, were about to say something. I know. This, it's such a loaded question for me because- there's so much to it, right? It's not just how do I keep someone once they're there? It's like, how do I keep evolving to meet the needs of the current social status and what employees need right now? Because I think it's different every five years. You, you could I talk like about, that. you could talk about pay. You could talk about the supervisor, like employees quit their boss. You could talk about. I like what she said there about it's ever evolving. It's not only ever evolving with the times there too of what the, of what the you know understanding what the employee wants and what the employee could potentially get elsewhere, but but you know it, it's it's also understanding that person as an employee too. Like we we you know typically where we see impacts on retention is, I mean ultimately it comes down to okay so they didn't feel valued for whatever reason they felt disengaged for whatever reason they they equate those types of things devalued and disengaged to a lack of respect you know Bethany talked about the lack of succession planning early on maybe they didn't see the path forward you know one of the things that I was going to refer to was in Gallup you know Gallup did a study and it talks about 52% of exiting employees say their manager or organization could have done something to prevent them from leaving 
Now it might've been, yep. If they'd have given me a million dollars out of state. Okay. So we'll remove some of those people. But what that also says is there were, there was an opportunity just to have maybe some simple conversations with people to be able to impact that retention number two. We always think that they're leaving to go to something greater and, and better, but there was maybe a simple thing that that manager could have done through a conversation or a miscommunication that would have saved that employee from leaving at the same time. Yeah, there was, I just heard a story of somebody that we know sort of who, who has a small business and he, he only had one employee at, at this point. I don't know how many employees he had had before, but he had one, he had one left and they, wow. they, and it's a hard job. It's a pretty physical job. There's, there's a lot of, it's just, a, it's just a hard job. And so I guess they came, the employee came with the, they, then they're in the owner's words, a list of demands. I don't know how it was approached, but they brought a, they brought a list of demands or requests or, or whatever it is and asked for, you know, asked, asked about those things. And I guess the owner, the boss told him, well, forget it. And he let this person go. <laughs> so now he, it's the boss. He's all alone. He's doing all the work, doesn't have anybody. And I think, you know, we had, we were having this conversation about it to, to say, you know, I don't know how that was fully approached. I don't know what the, how the employee actually came to that, to the, to the boss, but there probably to your point was there could have been a conversation somewhere in there just to say like, how can we meet in the middle? Because I think, you know, this particular person has the kind of mindset of, well, you should just be glad that you have a job and you just come to work every day and that's why I pay you. So what else, you know, what else do you need instead of having the conversation of like, how do I take care of my people outside of just pay? And what does that look like? Especially when you do have a really demanding job, like what does that actually look like? And are you willing to sort of change with the times a little bit? So yeah, just to that point, I think that that there's probably a conversation that was missed there that could have that could have been had. You know, another thing that 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 Gallup points out to your point too says fewer than three people in out of ten, fewer than three and ten employees strongly agree that their performance is managed in a way that motivates them to do outstanding work. And what's interesting about this is it's taken for granted that employees want to do outstanding work, which we've come across a lot of owners that are like, these employees, they're crazy. They're disengaged. They're, you know, they, they, they don't even want to be here. This says, no, no, no. Employees actually want to do a good job. They want to wake up and feel valued. They want to wake up and feel like they did a good job at the end of the day. They knew what was expected and they completed that. But what it's also saying is that the managers that we have in place at these organizations are not doing a great job of being able to motivate them to want to do outstanding work in the first place. You know, 70% of disengagement is caused by management. Don was talking about the disengaged and the toxic workforce. We have a tremendous amount of influence over how engaged our people are. And so I would encourage you, you know, one of the first things that maybe I might look at if I'm a business owner and my people are leaving, where are my people going? I might encourage you to look at the leadership that I have in place, who is leading those people and are they marching to the vision and the objectives and, and the style that you would want them to be leading your people? If you're the owner, even though they don't technically report to you, those are your people. Like are, are your leaders doing a great job of leading your people? Don? So I think a really, I mean, what's the takeaway from all of this, right? You've heard people don't quit their jobs, they quit their bosses, right? That's a big one. So and think about how do you create bosses and what do those bosses do in the job? If you own a company or an executive in a company, are you training your managers how to manage people? 
are you training them to lead the way that you need them to lead to really be yeah. protectors of your culture, not to just oversee processes, but to oversee people. If you're a manager and you're working through this, are you exploring your own leadership styles? Are you learning how to be the best leader, the type of leader that people want to work for, the person that can still drive accountability and engagement and still get things done, but also that makes it a good work environment for folks. If you're an, an employee, you know, what things can you learn to be a better employee for that manager? I think that's, that's another piece to that. So I think too often we see somebody who's good at their job and we promote them and you tap them on the shoulder and say, now you're a manager and they get no additional training on how to do that. And then we wonder why we get one third of people that are engaged at work. We've Matt shared this stat before 70% of all disengagement comes from management. Uh, so if you want to do one thing quickly to try to make your product better, it's train managers. Yeah. And I think we'd be remiss too, if we don't talk about high performance cultures and really that's what our goal is with different organizations. Like we are, we are focused on five sets of systems typically that, that we like to see what the pulse check the health of that system within your company, because we would say five sets of systems actually influence your culture to make it a high performing culture. And ultimately that is where employees want to work. So the people system, do you have the right people in the right roles? Do they understand what's expected of them? You know, do they have an opportunity to use their strengths? Those types of things. It does talk about hiring, onboarding, orientation, those those lanes there. The communication system. The, we want communication to flow from top to bottom, but also bottom to top, but side to side. Like, do you have places in your company for proactive and intentional communication to happen? Management, we want to support the managers that we put into place with some leadership development. Uh, also, some intentional check-ins there with your managers to employees, understanding what's expected of them, holding a line of accountability, creating consistency and standards, those types of things. Processes is another system. Are the processes that you that your employees are working in, are they reliable? Are they effective? Are they efficient? And bonus points, if you also allowed your employee to be a part of designing the process that they are now in charge of running, let them be, let them play a part in that. People like to, you know, own a piece of that. And then they, they, that, that helps create value too. And then finally, strategy is have you, and maybe as an owner of the business or even like a director of the department, have you relayed what the vision and the objectives are? What's the one-year plan? What's the five-year plan? Uh, sometimes we, we feel like we're protecting people by not inundating their brains with those things, but it's really hard for us to expect them to row in the same direction as I'm hoping they help us row to achieve the things that I think we need to achieve if I have not shared with them the direction that we are going. And I think, you know, our goal is if we are operating within those five sets of systems, and if those systems are solid, you have now cultivated and created a great place where people want to work. Don? Yeah. I want to throw some, just some stats out, some interesting statistics. And this comes from medium.com and it talks about why do employees quit their jobs? And so this, this just supports what Matt says, why those systems are so, so important. It shows that uh, for 43% of people looking for new jobs, they said that corporate culture was the number one reason why they were looking for new jobs. So what's it, what's it like to work there? What's the culture like? 82% of employees said they would be more loyal and less likely to leave if they had more flexible jobs. We just recorded our episode on, you know, work from home, work from, work from the office, that type, of epi that, that type of thing. And I don't equate working from home as being flexible. Requiring everybody to work from home is very inflexible. That's not good, right? Requiring everybody to work in the office is also very inflexible. You know, so thinking about flexibility and balancing work life is, is really important. 92% of employees said they would be more likely to stay in their job if their boss would show more empathy. Their boss would show more empathy. That goes back to the podcast that we did on what do followers need from their leaders, right? We need hope, compassion, stability, and trust. That's what we're looking for from our leaders. 
I think that's really good. Engaged employees are 59% less likely to seek out a new job or career in the next 12 months. That's, a, that's from a Gallup study. 62% of millennials are willing to quit their job in the next two years to work in the gig economy. So that's where the autonomy piece comes sneaks in. It, the more that's, we talk about empowering employees, right? Creating a climate where people can make their own decisions and, and, and make the right decision. Or when we create a climate where people can be, can chart their own course, people are going to own that direction more. I love this stat. 89% of bosses wrongly believe their employees quit because they want more money. Oh, we run man, into we this a lot. We, we do exit interviews for companies and it's always interesting. The boss thinks that they know why the person's quitting. And then when we talk to them, it's not exactly the same reason. It's easy for an employee to say, well, I've got a little bit more money over here. But it's also really easy for an employee to turn down a little bit extra money if they think it's worth staying inside of your culture. 76% of employees who don't feel valued at work are also seeking other job opportunities. I think that's, that's a really good one. And then this last one, it says 79% of employees who are considering quitting said that their bosses don't care about their happiness at all. So again, it goes back to the follow. So a lot of it goes back to who, who you work for and what's there. But let me, let me highlight another statistics here. Cause you're, I know if you own a business, you're thinking about what can we do with this, right? To keep employees onboarding 12% of employees say that their company has a good onboarding process. We see this everywhere we go. It's eight. So 88% say our mind company does not have a good onboarding process. If you have a good onboarding process, the way you treat your employees is like the first day. We always say the first hour, the first day, and the first week that they work with you is your onboarding. That's important. If you have a good process, your employees are twice as likely to stay than somebody who doesn't. They're twice as likely to stay just what happens in that first hour, that first day, and that first week. Too often we put take employees who come in and we say, hey, fill out this HR paperwork. I think your desk there, sit down there. I'm going to introduce you around a little bit, go look at our website, and then we'll try to figure out what's going to happen before lunch here. That, that, that soft process trains people that I don't care about you as an employee, wasn't expecting you. We don't really need you. We're not really, we're not high performers here at the job. It's, it sets the stage for a whole culture. So I threw out a lot of those statistics just to give the idea that there are lots of things you can do to improve retention by working on your company. And the good thing is all those help to retain employees also help to improve the performance of your company as well. Yeah, so we talked about these things. It's kind of a trick question just to focus on hiring and retention. And it's also kind of a trick question not to consider, you know, to only consider, you know, retention as the end of the process. There was many, many, many things maybe leading up to that before the actual retention number is ever even in play. And maybe it even started as early as that onboarding process that Don just talked about too. So lots of information. I know it found, it feels like, man, we threw a lot of information out there, but, but it's kind of a trap just to consider hi hiring and retention without first then considering what is it that we're selling as a company? What do we hold true? How do we treat the people when we're in here? And do we create enough value for these employees, not just money, but all these other different avenues? Like, have we created a place where they want to be not only to, to hire on board, but then to stay? So let's go around the table here and give a quick tip. What is your quick tip for hiring and retention here? Diana. Matt, I love that you just said, create a place where they want to be, because my tip is Instead of treating people the way that you want to be treated, treat people the way they want to be treated. So figure out what they need and what's important to them and then treat them that way. So like, in essence, create the space that they want to survive in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another reason why managing is hard because it's not always a blanket answer. You so might have many different people that I have to be able to relate to, but that's why managing is hard. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Bethany. 
So I said it earlier, but on the hiring end, realize that that hiring, finding good people is not that rare and be willing to look outside your box a little bit of what you think is a good employee and be willing to see that this person is moldable and they're they're I'm able to train them and what I do with them impacts the kind of employee that they will ultimately be. So just thinking outside of your box a little bit when it comes to hiring. Awesome. Thanks, Don. My advice comes in two steps. I think there's two parts to this. If you're trying to put all of this together that we just said into a nice package is step one, I would spend some time measuring internally whether you really are a good place to work by engaging the people that already work for you to find out. I would try to measure your net promoter score. I would look at your employee engagement levels and I would engage some kind of outside help to get to help you to do that. That could be people-centric, just shameless plug there to help you find out what it's like to work there. We're if very you, good at that too, by the way. We're, we're very, good. very good at that. Our Pathfinder really does help people get a direction and can give you some recognition, a path in terms of what to do next with those numbers. But let's say you do that and you find out, hey, we've got a great net promoter score and our employees are highly engaged and we're still not getting the applications. Then what you have is a marketing problem. You need to tell your story better about what's it like to work there. I would be creating a page on your website about jobs here at our company, what we stand for. I would be going to your employees who think you're a great place to work. And I would ask them to reach out on their social networks and brag about what it's like to work there. I would really leverage that feeling of goodness that you have internally, take it for a spin and help you attract some new great employees inside your company. But first you better check to make sure it's really true. I'm not going to deviate too far off course of where all four of us have landed. And you, you might be picking up the theme here. Stop focusing on hiring, stop focusing on retention, but instead focus on the good middle part there. The, what is it that you're creating? What are you selling that's encouraging people to want to come work for you and stay? And I have this quote, this movie quote in my mind, and some of you know it. I'm guessing about 25% of my team will know this, but it is, if you build it, they will come. Any idea? Feel the dreams. Feel the dreams. You knew that quote? So 25% of us did not know that quote. But I didn't know it. Right. (laughs) It is field of dreams. If I can quote that, if you build it, they will come. If you focus your, your, your energy on building the best version of you, whatever business that is, whatever managers you have in place, building the best version of you, people will come like the, make yourself a desirable place to want to work, you know, pay them appropriately, but also make them make a desirable place to work, man, people will come. So hopefully you've picked up at least one good tip from the hiring and retention podcast here today on the more than work podcast brought to you by people centric again, on behalf of Bethany Taft, Diana Royalty, Don Harkey. Uh, my name is Matt Griswold and we will see you later. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the more than work podcast. Join us next time, and in the meantime, lead well.